Scripture. Acts chapter number 1 this evening in your Bibles. Acts chapter number 1. If you're glad you're here, say amen. amen. Appreciate the privilege to come and be a part of this particular meeting. And I thank the Lord for uh, the opportunity. Thank you, Pastor, for letting me come. And Brother Sprinkles, I never had the privilege to meet these men. But I thank the Lord for uh, the privilege to come and allowing our paths to cross. And I appreciate you uh, being in the service tonight. And I've enjoyed all the testimonies and the good singing, and I thank the Lord for that. And uh, I was thinking while we were singing congregationals how much I appreciate ladies in the church because uh, uh, we wouldn't do such a good job, but I appreciate uh, the effort anyhow. Amen to that, but the good singing. And the Brother Rupert, thank you all. Man, I love you all. I'll be with you all, what, in April, something like that. And uh, so looking forward to that. I love this family, dear men of God. And, uh, but I appreciate you all coming and being here and do pray for me. I desire to be a help and a blessing to you. And so with that, let's stand together. Acts chapter number 1. And uh, I really began to prepare when, when uh, Brother Sprinkles called me and invited me to come. And uh, I began to pray the Lord would give me exactly what we need. And I really thought that the Lord would have me preach out of the book of Job. Four times in those 42 chapters, God uses the word integrity to describe the character of Job. And if there's ever been a time that we as men of faith are to have integrity, it's right now. But at the 11th hour, God began to take my heart a different direction. And Pastor, I appreciate your obedience because with his obedience, God uh, just put that stamp of approval on it and let me know that I was exactly where I needed to be. And so you pray for me this evening. I, I promise you I'll be as brief as I possibly can, but I want to give you the thought the Lord's placed upon my heart. Acts chapter number 1, I'll begin reading in verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I'd like to call your attention to that opening phrase of verse number 8. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For the Lord help me this evening, I want to preach on this thought. What are we going to do with all of this power? What are we going to do with all of this power? Father, we are grateful tonight for the privilege it is to be an old-time Christian. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to pray, the privilege it is to unite with your people. Thank you for these men that have made their way to the house of the Lord. Lord, many of them I do not know. Many of them I'll meet for the first time tonight. But Lord, I'm grateful that if we know you, Lord, there's a kindred spirit that we can unite together. I pray that you'd help me now to be a blessing. Forgive me of all my sin. Ask you to illuminate my mind and loose my tongue. Fill me with unction power as only you can. Help us, Lord, tonight to leave saying not that we've heard good singing or good preaching, but Lord, help us leave knowing that we have heard from heaven. Change us for time and eternity. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
The text that is before us, the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified for the sins of the world, was laid in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. According to verse number 3 of our text chapter, the Lord abode on the earth some 40 days after the resurrection, and now he is fixing to ascend into the glory world. But just before Christ ascends, he gives his disciples one final commandment, one final instruction for them to carry out. If you'll notice in verse 8, but ye shall receive a power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Of course, with this phrase, the Lord Jesus is alluding to the events that would take place in Acts chapter number 2 when the Holy Spirit would descend from heaven and indwell inside of every born-again believer. And aren't you glad for the doctrine of eternal security? Amen to that. But when we look here in the text that is before us, uh, we think about this power that God has given His people. Of course, you students of the Bible know that this word power is the Greek word dunamis, where we get our English derivative for dynamite, that the explosive power of God that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that indwells every born-again believer. And with the power that God has given us, uh, why did God give it to us? And what does God expect us to do with the power He has given us? Well, there's much that could be said, but in simple terminology, first of all, God gave us power to worship. I mean, it's easy sometimes to worship the Lord uh, when the doctor gives you a clean bill of health and there's money in the bank and the family's doing well. Uh, but it's a whole different situation when everything's going wrong and nothing's going right. But in those times when you don't get a clean bill of health and the bills are coming due and everything seemingly turned against you in life, I'm grateful that through the Holy Ghost uh, uh, and the power that God gives us, we can stare our adversity square in the eyes, lift our hands toward the glory world uh, and worship our Savior. Not only does He give us power to worship, but He gives us power to work. Have you ever heard ministry referred to as the work of the Lord? There is a great deal of physical labor that goes into the operation and the function of the local New Testament church. And within our own physical bodies, we would certainly grow weary in well-doing. There's no way within our physical bodies that we could withstand the load of completing all the task that is at hand. But aren't you glad for those moments where we are weary? that the Holy Ghost can kindle a fire in our soul and when we feel like we cannot go another mile, when we cannot study and preach another sermon, when we cannot hand out another track, I'm glad there's strength for the journey that we may work in the labor of the Lord. But not only does He give us power to worship, not only does He give us power to work, but in the text that is before us, he gives us power to witness. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice the colon. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Boys, with this power I give you, I want you to worship and I, I want you to work. 
But with this power I give you, I want you to be a witness. I want you to be a testimony of me around the world. Now this wouldn't mean a whole lot to you and I unless we first understand that there is a great necessity for a witness in the world in which we live. Some 7.8 billion people that occupies planet earth this evening and God loves every one of them and Jesus died for every one of them and it's not God's will for any of them to perish but for all to come unto repentance. And every second that passes, four people come into this world, but two people leave this world. Every second that passes, and somewhere between the time they come into this world and the time they leave this world, uh, the local New Testament church has the responsibility to share with them the greatest story ever told, uh, that they will be prepared to stand before God. There is a great need for a witness in this day but not only is there a great necessity but there's also a great remedy that great remedy for this sin cursed world in which we live is the gospel out of all the things that God could have tagged his name with and declared that this displays my power, out of all those things, the one thing that God associates his name with that displays his power is the gospel. You think about the power of an earthquake. An earthquake that registers an 8.5 on the Richter scale releases more energy than the atomic bomb that exploded over Hiroshima. Think about a Category 5 hurricane. It produces enough energy to be the equivalent of 200 times the total electrical generation capacity on planet Earth. So you take all the electricity on planet Earth times that by 200 and that is the equivalent of a category 5 hurricane. Think about the power of a volcano. Mount St. Helens when it erupted many years ago released some 24 megatons of thermal energy into the outer atmosphere. That is 1600 times uh, more power than the atomic bomb that exploded over Hiroshima. That's a whole lot of power. But when you study the Bible, God does not say uh, uh, that an earthquake displays his power. God does not say that a hurricane displays his power. God does not say that a volcano uh, declares his power. Uh, but he said it was the gospel that was the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only force that is strong enough to penetrate the stony heart of a sinner and set them free from the bondage of sin. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that can take a drunk off a bar stool and put him in a church pew. The gospel is the only power that is strong enough to take somebody that's condemned to die and give them eternal life. There is a great need for a witness in this day to give this lost and dying world the remedy. And that is the gospel. But I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, not men, that we have a great need and we have a great remedy, but there's hindrances that's holding our churches back in this day 
from being the witness that God desires for us to be. And I'll be honest with you, I know I'm young, but I say this as respectfully as I know how, that I'm not a novice. And I've been preaching full-time for about 12 years, and in that 12-year span of time, the Lord's given me the privilege to crisscross the nation dozens of times. I've logged over a million miles, and I've seen a lot, a lot I wished I could unsee. But in traveling and preaching in Baptist churches just like this, all across America, there's two things that I see that's hindering us the most. The first hindrance to our churches being the witness that God wants us to be, first of all, some churches are just too worldly. They're just too worldly. They have no standard. They have no conviction. Anything goes. There is no separation from the world. And because of that, there is no holiness, there is no power, there is no conviction upon sinners. And when the world looks at them, they see no difference between a worldly state of mind and what they call church. You can look it up for yourself, the Myers Park Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, that not only have they opened their doors and embrace members of the LGBTQ plus community, not only for church membership, but they're giving them uh, responsibilities in youth ministry and so on and so forth. And if that's not bad enough, one night a week they meet down at the local tavern where they get a church discount. They get a pint of liquor for a dollar. And so you've got the church crowd down there rubbing elbows with the world's crowd and when the world sees that, they see no distinct difference whatsoever. The Bible teaches me, the Lord Jesus declared in Matthew 10, that He did not come to bring peace, but rather a sword. Simply meaning that if you trust Him, the Prince of Peace, uh, there will be a time of separation in your life. There will be family members. There will be friends. Uh, there will be a separation from those uh, who love carnality rather than righteousness. If we're going to be a witness, we cannot be worldly. But not only are some churches too worldly, this is what I see the most in our circle. Some churches are just too religious. We're fundamental, King James only, Bible believing Baptists, and I say I am one. Hallelujah. I don't, all that recovering fundamentalist, if I cease to be what I am, I don't know what I would be. Somebody help me now. But I began to think about it. They know the truth. They know the Word of God. They know how to dress. They know how to live. They know what kind of Bible to carry. They know what old-fashioned worship's about. And because they have been enlightened to the truth and because they know the truth of God's Word, they have allowed pride to creep into their heart. They've allowed pride to creep into their life. And we have become isolationists, only fellowshipping with those that look like us and only talking to those that believe like us. And we have said separated ourselves so much from the lost and dying world they don't even know what's going on in the house of God I was a teenage preacher boy several several years ago and I was preaching a Bible school and uh, during the, the snack time we were eating in the cafeteria and uh, the, the host pastor's wife uh, was having a conversation with a guest pastor's wife 
And uh, I'm just a teenage preacher boy, just a two by squirt. You know, I'm just there to preach. So I wasn't eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but overhear the conversation because they were directly behind me. And the guest preacher's wife, she asked the host pastor's wife, uh, she said, are y'all running buses this week? Are y'all reaching out in the community for vacation Bible school? And the host pastor's wife made the statement, I'll never forget it. Uh, she said, that, no, we're, we're not running the buses this week. Uh, she said that we didn't want to uh, bring those snotty-nosed little kids in from the community in to ruin our good kids. We don't know uh, what they've been exposed to. We don't know what's going on in their life. And it, we didn't want to bring the bad kids in to ruin our good kids. And I don't know about y'all, but I sure am glad Jesus don't have that mindset. Hey. Amen. Amen. And we've got to the point, we've got more convictions than Jesus himself. Somebody help me now. And we've forgotten that while we enjoy the right kind of Bible and the right kind of music and the right kind of worship, there's a world outside the walls of this church uh, that don't know the Jesus we know. They don't know the joy that we know. They don't know the peace that we know. And it's our responsibility to be that witness. So we see the necessity. Uh, we see the remedy and we see the hindrances. But as you look in your Bible in verse number 8, Jesus, as he gives his disciples this commission, you'll find that he mentions four precise geographical locations that he expects them to be a witness with the gospel. These four precise geographical locations, they typify places that we should be reaching with the gospel. I'll mention these briefly and I'm done. First of all, if you notice in verse 8, he mentions Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, for these disciples, and these within, within hearing of the Lord Jesus, that Jerusalem was their hometown. They were either raised in Jerusalem or within walking distance of the city. So this was familiar territory. And Jesus is declaring that, boys, with the power I give you, I want you to be sure that Jerusalem, I want you to be sure that your hometown uh, hears the gospel. Be a witness in your hometown. Are you aware that this evening some 10.4 million people live in North Carolina alone? In Buckham County, there's over 260,000 people that live in Buncom County alone. And this church and other churches surrounding has a responsibility to make sure Buncom County and to make sure North Carolina hears the gospel. It's our responsibility, not only preaching from the pulpit, uh, not only just as uh, far as the outreach ministries of the church, but in our daily walk with God at work and at school and wherever God takes us in life. It's our individual responsibility and it's our collective responsibility as a church that our Jerusalem hears the gospel. But not only did he mention Jerusalem, but secondly, he mentioned Judea. Now, Judea is the province in which Jerusalem sat in. So that would be the equivalent of the nation. He said, now boys, not only do I want you to be a witness uh, to your hometown, but I want you to be a witness to your nation. Make sure that you make your nation accountable before God 
Make sure you make, make sure that your nation hears the gospel. As I stand before you this evening, there's some over 328 million people that occupy America that we know of. And on top of that, there's millions of undocumented people that we know not of. So it would be safe in saying, looking at the statistics, that there's well over 400 million people that live in the good old U.S. of A. And it is our responsibility as an individual, and it's our responsibility as a local church to make sure this nation hears the gospel message through missionaries, through evangelists, through revival meetings, through ministry outreaches of the church. We have an enormous responsibility that America and future generations are depending on churches just like this, having a burden once again and ringing the prayer bells of heaven and praying that God would send a revival to our land. What is it? Psalm 128. The Bible speaks about uh, the fear of the Lord. And in that particular psalm, it is a psalm directed toward the men. And the Bible plainly teaches us that if a man fears the Lord, and it begins to list for us the many blessings that would come upon his life if that man was to fear the Lord. The Bible speaks about he would bless his family. He would bless the work of his hands. But it goes on to say that God would bless the nation if that man feared the Lord. I believe with all my heart this evening, gentlemen, one of the reasons God has blessed this nation the way He has is because our forefathers and our ancestors, uh, they feared God with everything in them and they loved God and they loved the Bible and they loved the souls of men and they were not afraid to let their little light shine and they were not afraid to stand up with a backbone like a saw log and stand against all sin, but yet with love and compassion, reach out to a lost and dying generation and if we're ever going to see a move of God in this nation it may not be nationwide I mean we may lose our nation for it's over with but I'm going to fight with everything I've got till we do and we have a scriptural responsibility to salute red white and blue and make sure Lady Liberty hears the gospel but not only does he mention Jerusalem not only does he mention Judea but thirdly he mentions Samaria. Now, these men probably found this quite strange for the Lord to put Samaria in there. Because you students of the Bible, you are aware that the Samaritans were considered outcasts by the Orthodox Jews. They were biracial. And because of the Levitical law, the Orthodox Jews uh, saw the Samaritans as tainted because they were a combination of Jew and Gentile. Their blood uh, was not pure in the eyes of the Jews and so uh, therefore they had been tainted. They had been spotted and, and uh, they were extremely prejudiced against the Samaritans. And anybody to even be associated with the Samaritans was to bring shame upon their name and upon their household. But Jesus declared, now boys, with this power I give you, I want you to go down there and win your hometown. And with this power I give you, I want you to be sure that your nation hears about me. 
But with the same power I give you, I want you to reach out to the Samaritans that don't look like you, that don't dress like you, that don't think like you, they don't even smell like you. And boys, I know when you try to win them, the brethren's going to get on social media and they're going to run you down just like they did me and say, hey, that church receiveth and eateth with sinners. But he said, no matter what they say, no matter how much shame it brings to your name, I want you to love them and do everything in your power to reach them with the gospel. We've got to realize that we're not living in 1950 anymore. We're living in a world that has been scarred and blackened because of sin. One of my dear preacher friends made the statement that if we are going to minister to people in the 21st century, we're going to do it to people who have a great deal of baggage. Every one of our families has been affected by divorce. Every one of our families has been affected by this woke agenda. And I'm telling you, we cannot be a bunch of Pharisees and let a generation die and go to hell when we have the remedy for their soul. And that is the gospel. They don't know what they need, but it's our job to show them what they need. Are you aware of the fact that this evening some 39 to 50% of all marriages wind up in divorce? Some 19 million children, which is 25% of all the children in our nation tonight, are being raised in a single parent family. That's three times more than the national average in 1960 of 9%. And that's seven times more than the worldwide average of 7%. America has seven times more single parent families than any other nation in the world. Nearly 200,000 babies are born every year to single mothers between the age of 15 and 19. Some 38% of people in our nation are addicted to drugs. One in every eight people that you come in contact with every day is addicted to alcohol. Over 200,000 people in our nation are addicted to pornography. On average, over one million babies are aborted in our nation every single year. And that leaves thousands and thousands of parents uh, to deal with the guilt and the remorse of that awful decision that they made. Some 5.6% of our nation identified as LGBTQ+. The average age in the 1970s for someone to come out of the closet and declare they were a homosexual was in their early 20s. But in the year that we live, uh, the average age is 14 to 16 for somebody to come out of the closet. But the statistic that got me by surprise the most is out of all the parents in our nation, they say some 33% Of all the parents in our nation have never taken their children to any type of religious service whatsoever. 33% of all the parents in our nation have never taken their babies to any type of religious service whatsoever. 
And I thank God for the truth of our Bible. And I thank God for holiness. And I thank God for the old time way. And we are to live right and have standards and have convictions. Uh, but just as we have convictions, we are to have compassion and realize that we hadn't always been in the house of God with our shoes shining and our King James Bible in our lap. But if it was not for the grace of God, where would we be this evening? And there's a lost and dying world all around us that's going to bust hell wide open unless we love them and show them how much God loves them. I've got to hurry, but I'll tell you this. I was not, pre, I was not born into a, a Christian family. My mom and dad were lost when I was born. And uh, my dad was a drunk. And I remember my dad oftentimes beating my mother almost senseless. And I remember one time in particular, dad beat mom in a pretty rough way. And in the process of night, mom packed up our belongings and, and moved to Burnsville. That's where my mom's originally from. And so we moved to Burnsville. And mom and dad were separated for almost a year. And things looked pretty bad. And it looked like another home was going to be busted apart. Uh, it, it looked like there'd be another little boy being raised in a single parent family. And my mom, just a teenager herself, and, and things didn't look good at all. Uh, but there was a little old church. There's a little church up the road from my daddy's house that got a burden for their community. And they got a, a soul winning program together. And they knew my daddy, and they knew my daddy was a drunk. And, they knew my daddy beat my mama. They knew that my parents were separated. Uh, but that didn't stop them. And every Saturday morning, they'd drop by my daddy's house and, and uh, stick out their hand and give him a gospel track and let him know how much God loves him and let him know uh, how much that they appreciated him and they praying for him, that God would do a work in his heart. In the course of time, God using that church and every time they'd meet together, that have that prayer list in the men's prayer room, the ladies' prayer room, and they call out my parents' name and ask God to save them and put that family back together as God was working uh, on my dad's life up in Burnsville. My little old great-grandmother, a godly woman in every essence of the word, uh, she began to pray and began to fast and began to show my mama the love of God. Long story short, uh, God began to work in my parents' life and God uh, saved my daddy and brought my mama home and saved my mama in a revival meeting and, and that God brought my sister into this world and saved me and saved my sister and called me to preach and God did a great work in our family and it's all because there was some church down the road that knew the state of my daddy, they knew he was a sinner but they loved my family to the cross I could be a drunk this evening I could be a whoremonger this evening I could be a dopehead this evening but thank God somebody went down to Samaria and loved my family and shared with them the gospel. Not only did he say Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but fourth, when I close with this, he mentioned the uttermost parts of the earth. There are portions of the world, regions of the world that had not been discovered at this time. Jesus said, hey boys, when you hometown and I want you to be a witness to your nation and to the outcast of society, but those places nobody's ever been, those places that you didn't even know exist, be sure that they hear the gospel. And I'm telling you, there's a world around us 
that needs to hear the greatest story that's ever told. And it's our responsibility to make sure whether it's funds or missions or our personal life that make sure that the world hears the gospel. There was a Filipino missionary come by the church several, several months ago and he uh, began to give a little bit of his testimony. And he said over a hundred years ago there was a, an American missionary that went to this remote island. I, don't, I can't remember the name of it. It, it. it slips in my mind at this moment. But he went to this remote island off the main island of the Philippines. And there was only one little village on this island. And uh, this American preacher, he went and he tried to establish a work, but he dealt with a, a great deal of resistance. But he stayed faithful and he was resilient. Long story short, God began to bless after several years and he established a, a little old Baptist church there. Some a hundred years later, this Filipino missionary was born on that remote island and he was brought up in that Baptist church that that American preacher started over a hundred years before. And it was in that church that this Filipino native got saved and called to preach and was educated in the things of God. And now he's going to South America because there's a great deal of Filipinos moving there because of work situations. And he's going there to start a work there. Because of one man's obedience... Not only was the church established in the Philippine Islands, but there's hundreds that's gotten saved. And from that, another church will be established on another continent, all because one man decided to share the gospel. You cannot harness the power of God's Word. You cannot harness it and you cannot stop it. And we have to realize that if God be for us, who can be against us? And we have the responsibility, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of who's in the Senate, regardless of who's in the Supreme Court, we have a scriptural responsibility to make sure the world hears the gospel. I say this and I'm done. My... I told you my mom's family's from Burnsville. My, my great-grandpa, he worked on the railroad. And one morning my grandpa told me, he said that he was, he was a little boy and he said that great-grandpappy got him up early in the morning all of his brothers gave every one of them, gave every one of them a wash pail. And they loaded them up in the trunk of the car and he was going to work. And there was a blackberry patch on the side of the road. And he said, now boys, he said, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work my eight hours. He said, now I come back, I expect every one of those wash tubs to be full of blackberries. Yes, sir, Daddy. Well, he drove off. Well, they got to picking them blackberries, and about an hour into it, they could hear in the distance, they could hear the roaring of the river. You know, little boys... Daddy, that ain't going to be here for another seven hours. We got plenty of time. Let's go down to the river. So they got down to the river, and you know how time flies when you're having fun. Next thing they knew, my great-grandpa, their daddy, was standing on the riverbank, and he hollered them each one by name. Don't you know the fear of God fell in that place? They were disciplined severely. There was no time out. They probably all got knocked out. Somebody hit me there. And Papa said, he said, what hurt me the most was not how bad I got a whooping. 
He said, what hurt me the most was how disappointed that look of disappointment I saw on my daddy's face. You know, in this text, the Lord Jesus gave his disciples, gave his followers a great commission. Hey, make sure the world hears the gospel. Would y'all agree that the fields are wide unto harvest? Would you agree when we're seeing Russia and we're seeing China and we're seeing Iran and we're seeing these things in the Middle East, would you agree that we're closer to the coming of the Lord now than we've ever been before? I believe the King's coming. And He's given us a responsibility. And I'm, I'm afraid that if we don't get busy about the Father's business, we're going to be ashamed at His appearing. According to Matthew 7, the majority of the world's population is going to make a conscious decision. A conscious decision to reject the gospel and to walk down that broad road of sin. We understand that. But just because the majority of them is going to reject it, we should do everything in our power to still win them with the gospel. The power God give us, what are we going to do with it? Father, we are grateful for your word. Father, we're grateful for this time of fellowship with these, my brothers. Lord, I appreciate the fact that a church has a burden for their men. Lord, we're certainly not chauvinist by any stretch of the imagination, but Lord, you have called men to lead. You have called men to lead the church and men to lead the family and men to lead the nation. God, you have given us Holy Ghost power to do so. Lord, with the power that you give us, may we ever endeavor to be faithful to you that we will not be ashamed that you're appearing, but Lord, we would certainly be about your business. Lord, with the power that you give us, may we not neglect it, but may we share it that the world may hear the gospel. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Pastor.